Well, I want to invite you to please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. And our study promises to challenge our hearts because it exposes a serious problem that exists in the church today. And it's not a new problem, but it's one that has spanned across church history. The problem that I'm speaking of is spiritual pride. Specifically, spiritual pride that encourages or promotes ministry exclusivism and narrow-mindedness. It is a spiritual pride that can even lead to intolerance or prejudice towards other believers. It is a mindset that basically says, if their theology doesn't align with mine, or they went to a different seminary, or they're part of this denomination, or part of that fellowship of churches, then I need to have this dark cloud of suspicion move in and encroach on my thinking. Here's a little jingle that one pastor wrote that reflects this reality of spiritual pride. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then I'll fellowship with you. (laughs) That might seem far-fetched, for some, but there are, uh, there are believers, there are denominations that adhere to doctrinal as well as philosophical distinctions that promote this kind of thinking and practice in the church, and how sad it is. If you find yourself outside their circle, then you'll always be under suspicion until you do one of two things. You're either going to acclimate to their view or you're going to move on. And you'll you'll go fellowship with, with someone else that is theologically compromised. How do you view other churches and ministries? Do you find yourself being critical or suspicious of them? When it becomes apparent that their theology differs from yours, what impact does it have on your thinking? When you hear things like, oh, they have charismatic tendencies, or they're non-cessationists. When you discover that they're not reformed, or maybe they reject doctrines of grace, or Calvinism is considered Uh, a dirty word from their perspective? Does this cause your heart to be suspicious of them? Now, it could be that you don't even have a theological grasp of some of those terms that I just mentioned. And to be honest, that might be a good thing, especially if it would put some level of spiritual pride in your life. Today in our study, we're going to see the disciples struggle with someone outside their circle of discipleship, and it presents a real problem. We'll see how pride impacted their thinking before they received some much-needed principles from our Lord. Let's begin by reading our passage together. Mark 9, verses 38 through 41 will be the focus of our study, and this is what it says, starting in verse 38. John said to him, that's Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name 
and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Our passage only consists of four verses, but it has much to teach us. Please pray with me and let's enlist and ask God for his help as we cling to him for understanding. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we yield to the work of your Holy Spirit. The natural man cannot fully understand that which is spiritually appraised, and so we thank you for the ministry and the advocacy of the Holy Spirit that illuminates our understanding. We know that when we were redeemed, when we cried out to you for forgiveness of our sins, when we trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And your advocacy has begun in our lives. And you're growing us. You're growing us forward in discipleship according to your will. And we praise you for the humility of Christ and the theme of servanthood as we look at his life and consider the counsel that he gave directly to his disciples now it's come to us. Pride festers in our hearts, even when it comes to ministry and what we believe it should look like. Help us to filter our understanding through the lens of your word and wisdom as we consider our ministry outlook while serving with others. Help us to continue to cultivate humility and help us to see where we're spiritually blind, where we're spiritually proud, Help us to see that ministry is bigger than us and our limited experience of it. We humbly ask, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you may have noticed in your outline already, that is the title of our message. Ministry is bigger than us. And as your outline indicates from this passage, we'll discover two different categories of truth. And these categories of truth will help us when ministering with others so that we understand that ministry is larger than our experience of it. It is. It's bigger than us. You think about the exposure that you have had, just even the limited exposure that you have had of ministry in your life. It's not that broad. It really isn't. Even if you've traveled, even if you've had and been one of the fortunate ones, do you do you really see the full perspective of all that God is doing and how he can work in ministry? I submit to you that we don't. We don't see that big picture. We don't see it. And the first category for consideration in your outline can be described this way. Problems we run into when ministering with others. And here we're going to consider how pride tempts us to question the ministry of others and how pride can even tempt us to obstruct those who don't follow our way. The second category of truth are principles to remember when ministering with others that Jesus gives us in this passage. Let's get started with our first point. Problems we can run into when ministering with others. 
First, it needs to be noted again for good reason that the Lord is continuing to, to grow the disciples, to invest in their lives, preparing them for the apostolic ministry that they're going to fulfill. They are going to be the men that are used by God to train and equip other people for the work of the ministry. Progressing in evangelism and discipleship was a ministry pillar from the very beginning. It was. And they needed to learn and they needed to grow. And having a humble servant attitude is critical for this task. The other synoptic gospel accounts briefly mention a verse or two of this account in connection with the passage that we studied last Sunday. And if you weren't with us last Sunday, we do record all of our messages. You're welcome to go online and to listen to that message. What is ironic is that even in Mark's gospel, which is shorter than any other gospel account, it's, uh, when, in, in the synoptic gospels, especially when we're talking about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, Mark is the, the, the shortest. Oftentimes when the account is recorded in all three synoptic gospels, Mark ends up being the fullest description, which is the case here, believe it or not, with four verses. The other synoptic gospel accounts briefly mention a verse or two of this account in connection, again, with the passage that we studied last week. Only here do we see a complete lesson on discipleship. Look again at verse 38. It says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. At first glance, you may not see the spiritual pride that's manifesting itself in John's statement on behalf of the disciples. But a closer look reveals the sticky residue. Here this nameless exorcist is successfully casting out demons. And you may recall on our account the last time that they tried to cast out a demon earlier in Mark chapter 9. Things didn't go very well, did they? So now here they come up on this guy who is successfully casting out our know, uh, not just one demon, but, but demons. They were unable to cast out the demon of the little boy back in Mark 9.18. You, you remember, the father brings him, and basically when Jesus finally shows up on the scene after coming down from the Mount, Trans, uh, Mount of Transfiguration and, and says, your disciples tried to cast it out, but they could not do it. And so now we have this guy who hasn't had anywhere near the level of instruction that the, the, the 12 have had. At least scripture doesn't indicate that he has. And he's able to accomplish great ministry in the Lord's name. Arkett Hughes says, This man was apparently a believer in Jesus, but certainly not as informed as the disciples. And when they told him repeatedly to desist, he would not. But what was particularly galling was success. He really was experiencing power through Jesus' name, a supreme irony in light of their recent powerlessness. End quote. You might imagine that this might have just challenged the disciples a little bit. Their egos took a hit here. And yet the Lord uses this in great measure to, to help them see that the power of faith of those who ministered in his name wasn't going to be, be restricted and it wasn't going to be limited to only those within their circle. 
within their ministry circle. And by the way, this man wasn't just sitting around talking about who was the greatest. He was at the task. He was serving the Lord. And this really serves as a prequel to what's going to happen perhaps just a few months later. And I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Here in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out 70 others to do ministry in his name. And there's a little bit of context here as you're turning there that I'll, I'll provide for you. After the Mount of Transfiguration that took place at the base of Mount Hermon, and they, there was a ministry up near Caesarea Philippi, they started moving southward. We mentioned this before. And then they, they come to Capernaum. And then they're going to continue the journey southward to Judea, and ultimately the Lord is within the, the, the final several months of his life here. And so we have this account in Luke chapter 10 <clears throat> where Jesus actually employs 70, okay? These would be 70 apostles who were sent out to do ministry in his name. Look at verse 1 with me. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Church, that is a, that is a prayer that we need to pray. We need to beseech the Lord that something just as we go into a time of prayer next hour that we can, we can be mindful of and be thinking of. We need to be faithful to go out into the harvest, but we need to beseech the Lord to send additional workers out into the harvest. Verse 3, go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Then Jesus goes on and he gives them specific instructions in the following verses, but I want you to look at verse 17 to see how their ministry in his name went. It says, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Our nameless man back in, in Mark 9, apparently he's already got this figured out. He's already ministering and in Jesus' name and casting out demons. And so rather than celebrate the ministry success of this man done in the name of Jesus, what are the disciples compelled to do? They question it. They get suspicious of it. It was Jonathan Edwards who wrote, spiritual pride is very apt to suspect others but a humble saint is most jealous of himself he is as suspicious of nothing in the he is of his own heart the spiritual proud person is apt to other saints and to be quick to notice their deficiencies but the eminently humble christian has so much to do at home and sees so much evil in his own heart and is so concerned about it that he is not apt to be very busy with other hearts 
Pure Christian humility inclines a person to take notice of everything that is good in others and to make the most of it and to diminish their failings and to give his eye chiefly on those things that are bad in himself. End quote. And all God's people said, ouch. Right? Ouch. Why? Because the natural inclination of all of our hearts is to be spiritually proud. Pride looks outward. We know this. We see this evident in the, the, the examples of the scribes and Pharisees. The and humility looks inward at self. And the Lord is, is exposing their hearts for what they are right now. He, he's ordained this so that they can see what is going on in their hearts. How is he exposing your heart, my heart? Let's continue. Not only do the 12 get suspicious of this man, but look at the middle of verse 35. It says, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. Here we see how pride tempts us to obstruct those who don't follow our way, which is the second sub-point in your outline. This nameless man was obviously doing a good work. He was warring on the same side as the apostles, but this didn't satisfy This man didn't work in company of the apostles, nor did he fight in line with them. And so John and the others tried to stop him. James Edwards writes, John's report that the independent exorcist was not following us is depressingly ironic. We should expect him to say because he was not following you, right? He's not, Lord, he's not following you. But the attention is, no, he's not following us. He goes on to say, it's not a little presumptuous at this stage of discipleship for John to think himself and the other disciples worthy of being followed. This is yet another echo of their inflated self-importance, end quote. Some have speculated that they were simply trying to protect the name of Jesus being misused. But again, John, using us instead of you, seems to accent the self-focus here. And here's another angle for you to consider. The power to do ministry was going to be made available to both Jews and Gentiles. The Gospel of Mark is written to a primarily Gentile audience. Scripture doesn't say what the lineage of this man is. There's no way for us to know. But it could be. It could be that this man was a Gentile. And Jesus spent a great deal of time ministering to the Gentiles, preparing the disciples to do the same. Eventually, the disciples will need to progress to a point when they would not just be ministering to, but ministering with Gentiles. And the spiritual pride of the twelve would only be amplified if this man was a Gentile. Again, we, we don't have uh, a way to know specifically, but it's interesting to think about, isn't it? Very interesting. Regardless, the 12 needed to learn that ministry is bigger than them. And so how would the Lord shepherd their hearts to respond? 
Let's hear what the head of the church has to say. And this brings us to our second category of truth so that we'll understand that ministry is larger than our experience of it, which is this, principles to remember when ministering with others. Look at verse 39. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Jesus gives this command. Do not hinder. In the Greek, it's do not stop, do not forbid, do not prevent. It can, you, you, I don't know what Bible translation you have, but it could be any number of one of those four. And in the Greek, intense, it implies that Jesus' counsel is not limited to this instance, but is valid for all such instances. That is, do not stop such people. And then he gives the reason why. If the power to perform the miracle is authentic, then chances are their faith in Jesus will also be authenticated by how they speak of Jesus after the fact. And this is truth. Real faith leads to the real praise. Amen? Right? And we see examples where they were warned, and, and Acts 16 gives an example of uh, magicians and other people who are using, right, Jesus' name, and, and then, you know, it didn't work, and then they could just throw Jesus under the bus, you know? Unlike the Word of Faith movement that has grown in, in, in their uh, gospel preaching today that they, they, they put it on you. They don't put the blame on Jesus. You just didn't have enough faith. That's why you weren't healed. That's why there was no success. So here Jesus appears to be validating this man and the principle that he wanted to take, them to take away was not to hinder the ministry efforts of those who appear to be genuine just because they're outside your ministry circle. You can't do that. Fellas, you cannot do that, especially, you know, think about it, just even from their mindset, if they were thinking, you know, I think of us as the, the, the you know, we're, we're a church with four elders, and, um, all, you know, the, believe me, there's enough ministry to do, right? Can you imagine the 12 apostles just trying to take it all on their shoulders and not training up leaders and sharing that responsibility, you know, die. Listen to the strong words that J.C. Ryle writes about this. Here is a golden rule indeed, and one that human nature severely needs and has too often forgotten. Men of all branches of Christ's church are apt to think that no good can be done in the world unless it is done by their own party and denomination. They are so narrow-minded that they cannot conceive the possibility of working on any other pattern but that which they follow. They make an idol of their own peculiar ecclesiastical machinery and can see no merit in any other. To this intolerant spirit, we owe some of the blackest pages of church history. Christians have repeatedly persecuted Christians for no better reason than that which is given here by John. They have practically proclaimed to their brethren, you shall either us or not work for Christ at all, end quote. And sadly, things have looked bleak 
in church history when spiritual pride has caused believers to suffer against each other. And we see it today, don't we? We see it. You can, I, I can, and I'm not going to do it just for the sake of mentioning other ministries because um, I'm encouraged by them. But I know the tendency of my own heart when I hear another name sometimes in ministry, it rises up within me. When, you know, I try to be as general as I can, when maybe I see a, a covenantal um, at, or a non-cessationist church, right? Or someone who, um, who tends to be a little bit more free will focused and Arminian in their theology, that can rise up. You know what? They, 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 they preach the gospel. They're doing their best to, to make disciples. But yet you hear the name and you say it and something's like, oh, yeah, but. Is that not the truth? I know it is in my own heart. Right? And sometimes they, they went to, you know, oh, he, yeah, one of our associate uh, pastoral candidates you know, he, he graduated from Fuller. Oh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, what, but think about that. Just even that statement, me saying that statement. You can mention another seminary by name, can't we? You can mention um, a place that might be legalistic, that might be liberal. And automatically there's something that rises up. It's this, this spiritual pride. Maybe that was a bad example to use. Men of God are used by all the seminaries, right? That, that he has them go, some in greater measure. But God uses them, right? God ordains for training to take place in, in different locations. And this doesn't just because church history has had these bleak and dark pages, it doesn't mean that we can't have change in our own heart. That we can't cling to what Jesus is trying to teach us here in this passage. And we're going to understand this even a little bit more clearly as our next principle helps us to see uh, what Jesus is, is emphasizing. We're looking at principles to remember when ministers others. The first principle is not to hinder the ministry efforts of others. The second principle is this. Understand there's no middle ground in Christ. Look at verse 40. Jesus continues by saying, for he who is not against us is for us. By this time in our Lord's ministry, there are a number of people that oppose him. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians. I mean, there's just, that, that's the short list. And there are many others that can be added. And anyone who was willing to follow Christ was putting their life in danger. And if they were an Israelite, it's already even at this point where they're starting to get the out of the synagogue. They're getting kicked out of the synagogue if they advocate that Jesus could be the Messiah owners in family business which was very common they were committing to following christ they were already losing 
their, their share. They were being cut out of the family business. Following the Lord would come at a cost. And the level of persecution was only intensifying. And it's at this point where Jesus makes a point that should be becoming increasingly obvious to the disciples. For he who is not against us is for us. And think about this. The opposition that we face in this world, is it already stacked against us? It is, in great measure. The prince of the power of the, of the air and all the dominions and all the satanic and demonic influence that exists, the battle for truth is never-ending. just keeps going. Now what happens if spiritual pride causes us to start viewing other believers as the opposition? You see the danger of that? How, how deflating will, will, will that be? If all of a sudden there's... <laughs> the focus isn't on the, the, the lost world. The, the focus isn't on the battle for truth there. You know what it is? It's the battle in the church. It's battle for, for the things that you're going to go fight, uh, uh, nail and tooth for. You're going to fight for your eschatology. You're going to fight for your ecclesiology. Oh, they're not elder rule. Oh, we can't partner with them. Oh, we can't do this. Right? All this stuff. It happens. It only makes matters worse. And the he and us connection in verse 40 noted, and the absence of a hostile attitude indicated that this man was basically friendly toward them. A man's attitude towards Jesus should determine his attitude towards his disciples. Think about it that way. If we truly understand that ministry is bigger than us, then we'll be encouraged by those who are serving the Lord even outside of our ministry, knowing that they are for us. They are for Christ. And likewise, we should be for them. This is the mindset and a principle that needs to be cultivated in the church at large, but spiritual pride threatens the unity that we have in Christ and the gospel and prevents us from seeing that there are other ministries that are for Christ, that are for the gospel. And why is it that we regularly view them as... Again, J.C. Ryle adds... Let us be on guard against this feeling. It is only too near the surface of all our hearts. Let us study to realize that liberal, tolerant spirit which Jesus here recommends and be thankful for good works wherever and by, ever, or, and by whoever done. Let us beware of the slightest inclination to stop and check others merely because they do not choose to adopt our plans or work by our side. We may think our fellow Christians mistaken in some points. We may fancy that more would be done if they would join us and if we all worked in the same way. We may see many evils arising from the religious dissensions and divisions. But all this must not prevent us rejoicing if the works of the devil are destroyed and souls are saved. End quote. There is a joy 
in the true biblical gospel that should unite our hearts and kill spiritual pride that so often tries to hijack our ministry outlook towards others. Even Jesus noted this after the 70 returned in Luke chapter 10. Turn back there actually real quick so you can see it. In Luke 10, starting where we left off, back down in verse 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning, referring to to the past. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Now grasp what he says in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. There was the focus. So interesting that Jesus shares this. And I believe the reason why he called them not to rejoice in the spirits being subject to their name was connected to the threat of spiritual pride that could occur as a result. And if you need a proof text, I believe that we're studying one today. In fact, let's not focus on anything that will promote spiritual pride or disunity. Let's focus on and be encouraged by those who are in Christ, who are being true and and faithful to the biblical gospel. Now it also needs to be noted what Jesus is not doing. He's not pushing some ecumenical agenda. We're saying throw all ministries into a, a theological melting pot and that you can't have any distinctions. We do need to be discerning when it comes to the faithfulness and the fidelity of other gospel ministries. Jesus isn't advocating that we link arms with every ministry that names the name of Christ. There are cults out there, we know that, that we need to be protected from. We need to protect ourselves from damning heresies stemming from Mormonism to Jehovah's Witnesses. But what Jesus is ultimately driving at and the principle that your heart needs to grasp and what my heart needs to grasp is that there are a large number of ministries that are out there that are for him, that are doing their best to be faithful, that are trying to, to, to preach and, and to make disciples. And though some ministries might have a different view on ecclesiology. Those, some might have a different methodology on how to effectively make disciples. That shouldn't be something that we go to war over when in the end we are for Christ and the gospel. And we cannot lose sight of this church. Because what will happen is a spiritual pride will develop and be cultivated within and it will be destructive. And we have so much to learn. And that's why God gives us an eternity to learn. There's so much to learn about our God. There's so much to learn about ministry. Ministry is bigger than us. And the Lord wanted his disciples to understand it so that their spiritual pride would be dealt with. And he desires the same for us. Well, there's 
the third principle which will serve as a fitting conclusion for us. The Lord doesn't want us to hinder the faithful ministry of those outside our ministry circle. He wants us to understand that there's no middle ground when it comes to taking a stand for him and the gospel. And finally, he wants us to remember even the smallest efforts won't go unnoticed. Look at verse 41. Jesus concludes by saying this to his disciples. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly, I say to you, he will not lose his reward. This verse, by the way, preserves a rare occurrence where Jesus refers to himself as the Christ. And here Jesus concludes with a reminder that the humblest act of kindness, even the giving of a cup of cold water, will not go unnoticed by God. And the spiritual pride of the disciples had their minds consumed with authority and with power. Sure, casting out demons and performing miracles receives more attention in the eyes of men. And so Jesus wants them to know that even the smallest of efforts won't go unnoticed. This is Hebrews 6.10 all the way. One of my favorite verses. It says, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. How good it is for us to close with this reality in mind. It all counts. It all counts. May our hearts continue to be challenged and encouraged by the principles that the Lord brought before us in this passage. And may we never lose sight of the fact that ministry is always bigger than all of us. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads right now just thanking you for the lesson that your son taught us today that he communicated to the disciples and I pray father that you would never allow spiritual pride to escalate to the point where we would become so narrow-minded so exclusive that we wouldn't even consider having fellowship or being able to be supportive or prayerful for other ministries. The reality is that Spurgeon even shared with his students and lectures to my students that all of us have broken theology. All of us need to know more. All of us lack understanding in some regard. And yet there is a fine line those who are in Christ, those who know you, those who have been born again, who are faithful to gospel ministry, they're for you. And though we may not be able to partner with every church that names the name of Christ, we do thank you that there is work that is being done, that there are hands doing many great things for Christ. And what might be a priority for another church might not be a priority for ours. And yet this is by your sovereign will. This is by divine design. May we adopt this humble attitude 
this servant attitude that Jesus is trying to instill in the disciples. And we embrace it. Thank you, Father, for the lessons. And these are truths that will take us time to process. We, we give you thanks and praise. We want to live for your glory. We want to make our lives count. Please help us to do just that. Help us to be faithful to the gospel. Help us to continue to progress in evangelism and discipleship. And allow our hearts to be encouraged as we continue to go out into the harvest. May that be our focus. May that be our intent. May we always keep in mind our own heart and what's taking place in there and the pride that exists there and not in the pride of other people. That is how spiritual transformation takes place. We give you thanks and praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.